Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The eye is the lamp of the body. So if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light in you is darkness, how great is the darkness. No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. Therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food, and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow, nor reap, nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin, yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O oh, you of little faith? Therefore do not be anxious, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Therefore do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. Church family, we have been studying the Sermon on the Mount. Today we will continue in that study. We'll be in Matthew chapter 6, verses 19 and on. And I am so anxious about this sermon. But more than that, I'm anxious that I'm going to forget one announcement that I put a note, remember to say this. That is that we have a membership class today at uh, 1230, so right after this service, out in the lobby off to the left-hand side. If you uh, would like to join us, uh, we are going to talk about the mission, vision, values, and future of Desert Springs, uh, answer any questions that you might have about uh, our church family, talk about what we believe, where we believe that God is taking us as a church. Love to have you join me. Uh, even if you didn't sign up, that'd be totally fine if you uh, join us for that. 1230 in the lobby off to the left-hand side, I'll be there. Uh, also, if you'd like to mo know more about membership, you can visit that uh, URL. And so um, if you're anxious about these things, come to the class. See what I did there? Tied it all in. That was rough. Friends, every time I uh, come across this text, I think about pirates. <laughs> think about pirates, because yar where ye treasure is. <laughs> Guys, see? Come on. So listen, we're going to do a little treasure hunt. How about that? Uh, under some of your seats is a, is a treasure chest in the, in the form of a brown paper bag. Uh, so look around. Uh, perhaps there's one under you. Uh, there's five treasures. If you would please look around. 
find what you find. If you, if you happen to find one, would you let me know? Just give a little shout. Uh, we, got a, we, got a, we, got a, we got one over here. Boom, bada boom, bada bing. Uh, we got one back here. Kim, okay, what else we got? We got two. We're looking for three more. Anybody else? Jeremy's got one. We got one back there. That's, I think there might be one somewhere in here. One, two, three, four, five. Beautiful. Would you open them, please, and let us know what you find? Jeremy, what do we got back there? That is a beautiful infant-sized 77, DSBC 77 shirt uh, used to celebrate our 40th birthday, which is this year. Uh, that's wonderful. If, if you put that on, I'll give you a dollar. What else do we got? Not right now. They're in a public setting. What do we got right now? George, what do we got there? A Lego house. We have a, be- a, a wonderful abode, an interlocking abode. That's wonderful. Okay, so we've got a Lego house. So we've got some clothing. We've got a house. What else do we got? Oh, we also have another shirt over here. Some more clothing. Okay, right down there. What do we got right over here? Food. Fruit, snacks, and Kit Kat. Food. Okay, so we got food, shelter, clothing. What else do we got? Kim's got some water back there, so what you will eat or what you will drink. Wonderful. Was there any others? What do we got over there? Seventy-eight cents, and then play money because this is Desert Springs, and it's not like we're going to give you a dollar. Okay, give it up for the people who found their treasure. Wonderful. We as people, we are not plankton meant to drift about. We are people built to long built to treasure. Our hearts and our minds are set on things, and we experience longing and desire for that which we prize. And today in this text, we'll see three things. Number one, our treasure. Number two, our master. Number three, our joy. And I would encourage you to consider what do you treasure, who is your master, and where is your joy? We pursue the good life, All of us can agree that one of the things that we are to pursue is the good life. The question is, what's the good mean, right? What does it mean, the good life? What The pursuit of happiness, well, what will make me happy? These are questions that plague many of us. And of course, in our uh, city, in our cultural moment, so to speak, there are many answers to the question, what will bring me joy? What will make me satisfied or happy? Uh, what, are some of the things, what are some of the things that you see presented out there as solutions to the what will make me happy question? What are some of the things we see? Relationships. Relationships. Money. Money. Water. Well, if you guys need water, Kim's got some over here. <laughs> Food. Weight loss products. Success. Vacation. What is it? Stuff. What else? Cars. Gasoline. Gasoline. Hey, Merry Christmas. What'd you get me? I got you some gasoline. What did we have? We had some other ones over here. Fame, power, influence, right? Respect. Fortune. Grandkids. Yeah, and listen, this is the thing about grandparents. You, you, you give them one, and then they're like, when are we going to get another one? I mean, come on, grandparents. 
We're working on it, all right. Right, sex, money, power, influence, fame, material possessions, these are all things that we treasure and value. These are all good things created by God, but when they become ultimate things, they can bring about despair. When they become our ultimate treasure, and that is what Jesus is speaking of here. It's this, it's this idea of having not just a desire for something, but having an over-desire or an inordinate desire towards something. To elevate a good thing and make it the ultimate thing is to over-desire and to long for that which only one can make whole. What do you treasure? What do you hold most dear? Jesus says here in the text, you heard it read a moment ago, that where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. And that's, that is speaking to your very being. You wanna know what you're all about? It's what your heart's all about. And what your heart is all about is the thing that you treasure, that you treasure most of all. To put it another way, here's a diagnostic question. When asking, what do I treasure most, one of the ways that we can find out is this. What thing, if taken away from you, if removed from your life, would cause you to question your own inherent dignity and worth? What thing or things, if removed from your life, would cause you to question your inherent dignity and worth, your value, that is your treasure. That is the thing that your life is centered around. Where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. And listen, the thing that we treasure most becomes our master. It lords over us. Look at verse 24. No one can serve, this is the Lord talking, no one can serve two masters, for either he, will, either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot, watch this, you cannot serve both God and money. Now this language of money, it's right for the Lord to be speaking that here, but you could put any other treasure in that spot. You cannot serve both God and this treasure that you have but what is implicit in this statement is that you will serve some master. You and I, we serve what we treasure most. We can become, as one author puts it, a slave to the driving obsession in our life. That we can become shackled to the thing that we treasure most. Is there any Lord of the Rings fans in the house? Being a Lord of the Rings fan, I would think that there might be more energy and involvement from you. So I'm going to try that. We're going to TV time, and we're going to try that one more time, okay? Because I've never met a Lord of the Rings fan that did not let me know that they were a Lord of the Rings fan. So we're going to do that once more. You ready? Are there any Lord of the Rings fans in the house today? Good. That's more like it. Now, in Lord of the Rings... One of the uh, items, pieces of furniture, is a ring. And when 
it, when people capture it or get a hold of it, it captures them. It gets a hold of them. It begins to uh, call them into itself. Uh, you see uh, the characters every time they get a hold of this ring, the one ring to rule them all, you see. What begins to happen to the person? Come on, what's, what, what, what do they call it? My precious, my treasure, my center of being. And one of the things that Tolkien was teasing out in uh, his books, uh, his series on Lord of the Rings, one of the things that he's teasing out is that the thing that we treasure most gets a hold of us. The thing that we treasure most is our master and masters us. You see, every time we get a hold of it, it gets a hold of us. In verse 22, uh, the Lord uh, says this. This is kind of a little enigmatic. He says uh, in verse 22, the, light, the, the eye is the lamp of the body. And so if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light in you is darkness, how great is the darkness? And that's a little weird, right? I mean, that doesn't kind of make a whole lot of sense when, at first glance. But I, I understand the Lord here to be saying, basically, this is an eye problem, What you set your eyes upon is what you set your heart upon. And if you do not see your greed, if you do not see your your idolatry, you will experience darkness. And greed, uh, in particular, is a funny thing because you never know when you're being greedy, do you? You know when you're speeding. (laughs) Right now, our city's going through, uh, I forget what it's called, basically, please obey the law. Uh, like zero tolerance policy for people who are speeding down the freeways. And so if you're speeding and you get pulled over and you're going to get uh, cited or you're going to get a ticket and, uh, you know, generally the officer will ask, did you know how fast, you're, this has never happened to me, but I've heard from some of you, <laughs> they ask, did you know how fast you were going? Now, you have a, a, an instrument on your dashboard that tells you what? how fast you're going. And so you can know with relative certainty, I was going slower at or faster than the posted speed limit. It's your responsibility as a driver to know what the speed limit is and to know how fast you are going. And so you cannot in good conscience say, I didn't know I was speeding. It's your responsibility, you have a gauge. But with greed, you see, are you being greedy? I don't know. How do you know if you're being greedy? Are you over, now here's another one, are you over-desiring a good thing? Are you making a good thing the ultimate thing? The way, see, we have to see. We need a diagnostic. How do we understand, am I over-desiring something? And the, one of the ways that we can do that is through talking with other people, through having other people speak in our lives, but also asking the question, if this thing was taken away from me, would I even want to live anymore? If this thing was taken away from me, would I question who I am, my inherent dignity, worth, and value? What you treasure masters you, and it lords over you. Uh, there are those of us in business and in certain industry where we're working in certain companies and certain circumstances where the thing 
uh, or, or the, the, by, by the nature of how we produce our product or, or something going on in the company is actually doing evil in the world. You know that there's uh, industries that pay no mind to the well-being of others. You know that, don't you? And there are those of us who overvalue our power or our paycheck. And it's not like we're, there's a bunch of evil people with top hats and mustaches going, good, good, we're going to destroy these people. <laughs> oh, that's not how evil takes form. Evil takes form in the fact that you won't ask the question. Evil becomes manifest in our life when we overvalue our career, where we overvalue our power, where we overvalue our money, to where when we believe that we need to ask the question, is this righteous, is this helpful, is this unrighteous, is this wrong, is this evil, are we doing ill in the world, are we doing good? When we do not ask the question because we fear the consequences, it is something that we are overvaluing, over-desiring, do you see? Okay, let's talk about a lover, I, uh, someone I know, they came to know the Lord. They were very involved in uh, the church community. And then the minute that he found a lover who did not like Jesus, he dropped Jesus and conformed to his lover. And what he showed was that the God of his heart was not Jesus, but the lover. I need more than anything a lover. The thing that will make me whole is the lover. And so therefore, anything that the lover desires for me, I will do. Do you see? It's an over-desire. Now, is it good for us to desire a lover? Absolutely, it's a good thing. But when we over-desire, when it becomes our ultimate treasure, it masters over us. Now, everyone look in my eyeballs. I am not naming any names or pointing to any people when I say that there are people in power who will choose to ignore or betray their convictions in order to get and garner more votes. Y'all heard me say it. Now, nobody say anything else right now, okay? I don't want to fight right now. But when power and influence are over-desired, we can ignore our convictions. That God masters us, do you see? That treasure masters us. Now, I, no, so here I am, easy for me to say, I'm not uh, in, uh, engaged uh, as a political leader. Um, I'm married, uh, I don't work uh, out, I work at a nonprofit organization. So let's get real. For me, I love power, oh boy. The fact that people listen to me which I, I, who am I kidding? But, you know, the fact that it seems like people are actually listening to me, that makes me feel real good. It makes me feel good to make decisions. I don't even care what the decision is. Like, I get to make it. I, 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 I you know, and, and really, I, it, this is like my default trajectory of my heart is how do we get more people to listen to me? Because the world would obviously be a much better place if more people listen to me. So it's really just, you know, I, I'm being uh, charitable by saying that. But like every, like in my heart, the, the, the biggest temptation for idolatry I have personally is to uh, build a congregation and have other people look in and say, how wonderful. And so 
Where this comes into conflict in my life is when I read the text, when I feel the Spirit's conviction to say something, and I think to myself, if I say that, Jesus, people will get mad and leave. And the evil becomes manifest when I over-worship the attendance on Sunday and the size of the congregation rather than Jesus when I choose not to speak what I believe God is calling me to speak. You with me? Because y'all are mean. <laughs> and I get your emails, and boy, you're mean. And I don't like those emails. It may, you know what? The thing, you know, here's, here's how insidious this is. Like, I, I get the criticism, whatever it is, and I instantly, where I go is not, Lord, I lay this at your feet. Instantly, my heart goes to, you have no worth. Because I'm over-desiring influence and power. Do you see how this works? You see, where our treasure is, there our heart will be also, and our treasure will master us. It will get a grip onto us, and it will lead us. It will be our God, and we will be its people. This is why Jesus is screaming at us. See, look into your life, look into your heart. Now, this of course makes us anxious. The Lord is so good to speak on anxiety here because our treasures fail. Here he uh, speaks, do not be anxious, do not be anxious. Do not be anxious about your life. And he's not talking about planning. He's not talking about being concerned. He's talking about an abiding fear and anxiety that God does not have this under control. Do you see? He's not talking about strategic thinking about your future. He's not talking about saving or preparing. In fact, the scripture calls us to those things. What he's speaking here is an abiding belief that God does not have it under control. Do not be anxious. Those things we found in the treasure hunt, clothing, shelter, water, food, currency, these are things that are good for us to use. The Lord does not belittle. The Lord does not condemn those things. Rather, he says, put them in proper order. He says, seek first the kingdom of God. And then all these things will be added unto you. What causes you to question your dignity, your worth, your value, your inherent value to the Lord? Jesus is such a wonderful teacher. You know, recently he, he, he gave us a teaching on, uh, we, we studied a teaching that he gave uh, where he used carpentry, memory is, it's sawdust in someone's eye and you've got a, a, wood, a piece of lumber coming out of your eye. He uses ideas and concepts that we can actually get. And here, as it relates to anxiety, he calls us to look at what one old-time preacher called Professor Birds. Look at verse 26. Look at the birds. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. And then here's the question. Are you not of more value than they? 
you're, you're anxious. I, I'm anxious too. We worry about the future and, and we, we, we question, am I, do I have value? Am I loved? And it causes anxiety. And the Lord says, when that happens, go bird watching. And say to the bird, professor, what would you teach me today? And here's what the professor teaches us. That the Lord takes care of the birds. And you are much more valuable to him than the birds. And if then he takes care of the birds, will he not therefore take care of you? The last couple of days, um, I, I know that this surprises you. I do read things. Been reading the news, and uh, I mean, honest to God, it sucks being a pastor right now because, like, every week there's something else that that, the, that frankly that the gospel speaks directly to. In the last few weeks, we have been. Um, very aware of a reality that has been very present but hidden in different industries, with sexual abuse and sexual assault. I don't know what to say, and I'm very cautious because I really love you very much. And I'm a 36-year-old Caucasian in power who's never been the victim of sexual assault, sexual harassment, or sexual abuse. And I step into this moment just praying, Lord, just give me what to say. I don't, what do I have to offer? In praying through this, uh, I reached out to someone who's very dear to me and asked, um, who, who's been a victim and just ask, can you help me? I don't, I don't know what to do, I don't know what to say. I feel like I need to say something, I don't. So I wanted to share with you some of her thoughts. Just, just before we begin, I want you to think about the bird. God's care and concern for the bird and how much more he cares and loves you. She says, as a victim, you are not weak but instead courageous when you use your voice. The world's opinion, others' opinion about what you feel is not God's thoughts on the matter. They are not the same. The church cannot fix. The church cannot heal. But the church collectively can walk with you through the pain and point you to the one who can. As a victim, you are not less than others. You are not damaged goods. You are not a throwaway person. This language of trusting in the Lord and treasure in heaven is not a happy thoughts mentality, a just let it go mentality. Rather, treasuring the Lord and facing the evil squarely in the eye, not brushing it away with platitudes. This idea of not being anxious does not mean that we avoid our pain or our fear or our worry. Rather, it is a belief that God can work through our fears 
and our worries. And finally, abuse in all forms, but especially sexual abuse, assault, and harassment is nothing less than absolutely evil. There is no explaining it away. There is no making it right. It is just evil because it is an attack on the image of God within you. I have nothing comforting to give you. I cannot bring you comfort, but I believe that I can point you to the one who can. For Jesus Christ was sexually abused. His clothes were ripped from him publicly as he was crucified with his body laid bare as the masses walked past him, mocking and laughing, belittling, accusing, and humiliating. And that same Jesus who was abused and assaulted, died for you and for me. And he rose from the grave, conquering over Satan's sin and death. And one day he will return and he will make all, he will make all that is broken whole again. But until that day comes, he is present in your pain now. And he knows exactly what it is like what it is like to be forgotten, to be abandoned, to be betrayed, to be abused, to be assaulted. He knows. One teacher said that we can look back on God's faithfulness in the past and we can cling to his promises of his faithfulness in the future, but his presence with us is in the present. Look at the birds. Are you not more valuable than they to your heavenly father? You are. He says that no bird falls from the air apart from the father knowing it, which points to the reality that birds die and so do we, and birds experience pain and so do we, and we experience the effects and the impact of evil to varying degree, day by day, moment by moment. Jesus is not saying here, it's all going to be wonderful for us. He is not promising a painless life. He's promising that there is no meaningless pain. Do you see? He is not promising a painless life. He's promising to be present with us in the pain. Do you see? Are you not of more value than the birds of the air? You are. And the Lord promises his goodness, and he is present in our pain. Jesus, if he is our treasure, is our master. But he is the only treasure who bought us. You see, we are constantly looking around to buy and consume things that will give our life dignity, worth, and value. Jesus is the only treasure that buys us. And when we make him our foremost treasure, when we seek first the kingdom of God, he masters us, but he is the only master who longs for our eternal satisfaction and joy. Do you know that? Westminster Confession says this, that the chief end of men and women is to glorify God and to enjoy him forever. 
Will you treasure the one who longs for your eternal joy, who will master over your life in such a way that will ultimately bring your flourishing, your joy, and your satisfaction? Verse 33, I'll say it again. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all of these things will be added to you. Therefore, do not be anxious. Do you know the Father's love for you? This frees us. I mean, what, what would it be what would it be like if day by day, moment, and moment by moment, we knew beyond a shadow of a doubt that the God of the universe, our creator, our savior, and our Lord, not only desires good, but is powerful enough to bring it about and says to us, I love you, you are my treasure. What would it be like? What peace would come over us in the midst of anxiety? What joy in the midst of pain would come over us if we but recognized and realized and embraced the reality that God our Father is for us, that he loves us, and that we are his treasure? 